We are going to have to act if we want to live in a different world. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. We are. Yeah. It's another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. Another episode. Super exciting. Another another day, another dollar. Thirty episode thirty four. Episode would have Yeah, episode thirty four. Yeah, would have been thirty five if you didn't lose another episode. No one needed to know that. <laughs> Now everybody now knows. Every, now everybody knows. Everybody knows. It was going to be a really exciting episode. We're not going to talk about the topic, though, because maybe we'll talk about it later. Maybe it was a lame episode and it should have just died. I, I just remembered what the topic was. I was going to say I forgot, <laughs> but I do remember now. So, uh, so, Seth, tell me, what have you been playing recently? So, recently I've actually been playing this game called Death and Taxes, which is sounds riveting, I know. Uh, it came out in February of 2020, so feels like yesterday, but really it was five months ago, and uh, it was created by uh, a game a company called Placeholder Gameworks. This is their first game. They're the developer and publisher, so it's a self-published title. It's a really enjoyable game. So you play as the Grim Reaper. And you're a bureaucrat and you go to the office and you shuffle through paperwork and you decide uh, who lives and who dies every day. And it's it's very uh, funny kind of uh, tongue in cheek type situation in regards to the humor. Mm -hmm. Um, The gameplay style is paper pleases esque, but it's less uh, stressful than paper please because there isn't really a time you could kind of sort through everything on your own time and then you can decide to progress the day uh there's no like you need to decide this right now and you're not and the fun part that i really liked is that every person that's presented to you is uh you get a picture of what they look like and it's in like uh like 8-bit-ish type of uh or maybe 16-bit type graphics and you get the name of the person the profession of the person and a little bio about them and you get to decide you don't get any gender information you don't get any ethnicity information and they're you're given like uh they as the pronoun for every person because you're supposed to treat them as a human and they're all the same you go through and you read and you have to there's quotas and you can or can't make your quotas like you don't have to kill the people or not kill the people who progress the game. You have to, I guess you have to do the quotas. I don't know. I'm playing through as kind of like a straight man right now where I'm just doing everything the right, like the right, I guess like I'm just doing what the quotas tell me to do. So and I'm just like super serious. And that's kind of like how you can, you can be silly in the game if you want. And every time you kill or let somebody live, you get a Twitter feed the following day about that person happening or not happening and you can kill other people if you like kill like an airline pilot so like you'll show like an airline pilot comes up and if you kill them 
then they may crash the airline and other people will die. And the I thing that I thought was funny is that the you so you're being your boss is fate and there's other departments of reapers. Okay. So there's a there's a a reaper department for like animals and plants and children and stuff like that. So there's all these different departments that help like figure out like sort through everything after for the afterlife. So I I thought it was funny and sometimes you have to pinch hit for other departments. So That's fun. Uh yeah. And uh yeah, so it's a, it's an enjoyable game. Uh, I think I picked it up for 8 bucks. I want to say 9 bucks. Um on Steam. Um it's going to MSRP for 12.99 when it when it comes off sale. Uh really I recommend it especially if you liked Paper Please. I would recommend this game. Yeah, I love Papers, Please. 100%. Paper, Please. Yeah, 100% recommend this game. Following the rules can lead to some funny things, and you generally get to decide, like, who, like, you, like you're, like, weighing the pros and cons between some people and whether or not you want to kill certain people for quotas and stuff like that. It's a just an, a great bureaucratic simulator. So, uh, what have you been most recently been playing? Well, I've been playing a game that we briefly talked about in our horror game episode. Um, it is Silent Hill. Came out in 1999 by Konami for the PlayStation One. Uh, I've been playing it. It's on, a pretty old game. Yeah, I've been playing it on my PlayStation Three. Um, when I bought my PlayStation Three, I think I told the story. When I bought my PlayStation Three at a Goodwill, uh, it had a bunch of games already installed on it. Um, so I deleted the games that I did not care for ever playing in my life, and I kept the games that I did want to play. And one of those games was Silent Hill. And I've been really enjoying it. For those who may not have listened to our episode or don't know what Silent Hill is, you play as a man named Harry Mason, who is on a car trip uh, to the small town of Silent Hill with his daughter. As they're arriving, they get into a car accident. Harry wakes up and realizes his daughter is missing. So he goes into the foggy town and horror shenanigans happen because the town is cursed. So it's overall a spooky horror game. It hasn't aged very well because for the PlayStation 1, the graphics were kind of blocky and not very, you know, fluid. There is some creepy elements that I think the kind of like blocky graphics kind of help keep them still creepy. Um, There's a couple of moments where you'll come across these like things and then it'll switch point of view to what Harry sees and gives you a close up. And even with the blocky, you know, graphics of the time, it's still kind of disturbing because... You know, it's just the way it looks. But yeah, overall, a spooky game. Uh, the controls are not that great for the time. I mean, it was an early 3D game. and uh, But there are some good jump scares, which I'm usually not really into games that give me jump scares. I like, you know, like super, like, you know, psychological horror or supernatural horror. But there's a couple of moments that did actually get me. Um, also, I really like the fact that a lot of the dialogue is really bad because of the really bad job they did with the voiceover work. Um, For example, there is a character named Sybil who you meet, and she's a police officer for a neighboring town, and she firmly believes that all the bizarre things that are happening in the town of Silent Hill are the result of drugs that are coming in from tourists. Some of the bizarre things that are happening include flying monsters and rabid dogs and definitely definitely drugs (laughs) yeah it's drugs (laughs) uh so in like the it's not like an offhanded moment where she mentions it there's like a solid 
like two minute dialogue of her just telling you like it's definitely drugs harry they're coming in from out of town they come in through the tourists to arrive out of town and they give them to the people here and it's like it just keeps going <laughs> but it's uh uh so far I'm, I'm mostly through the game i think i have about an hour or so left maybe a little more than that maybe like two hours left so uh yeah it's been fun. That's great, and it's it's a good classic game. It is a good classic game. I, I'm I'm trying to like work through the series. So after I finish Silent Hill one, I'm gonna jump into Silent Hill two. Oh. Um. Then your then your recently played will be just a series of Silent Hill games. Potentially, yeah. Oh, it's kind of like it's kind of like how I'm trying to get through the Broken Sword saga. Yeah, exactly. And I, uh, I'm still working on that. So uh, this episode, we were gonna kind of do like a. Sp- bullet conversation uh so recently command and conquer was remastered and command and conquer is a great game we also wanted to talk about the company that made that and that's westwood studios we wanted to talk about the command and conquer development we also wanted to kind of talk about westwood studios and kind of talk about a little bit of both we may in a future episode go further on westwood's history or further on command and conquer but uh this episode's gonna be a little bit of a hybrid episode though let's talk with um uh, memories in regards to Westwood games. Uh, Zach, do you have any uh, memories of any of the Westwood games? So Westwood made, of course, Command and Conquer. Um, They also made Dune 2 prior to that, and that's Dune D-U-N-E 2 prior to Command and Conquer, um, which was based on the um, Frank Hubert. Herbert. um, Herbert. Hubert. Hubert. <laughs> Hubert. Uh, Frank Herbert uh, series of novels. So do you have any memories about those games? Or Yeah, so I, I didn't grow up playing Command & Conquer in, in Dune 2 because we were a Warcraft and Starcraft household. So we played Warcraft and Starcraft. That being said, though, uh, I, I did eventually play Command & Conquer and Dune 2. Uh, I played them when I was in college and in high school, mostly in college. In college, I picked up a copy of Dune Battle for Arrakis, which is the Sega Genesis port of Dune 2, which is kind of a bizarre thing to exist because it's a real-time strategy game for the Sega Genesis. But in any case, it's it's a fun game. I also played, when I was younger, I did play some Westwood games that I am only now finding out were Westwood games. That's a tongue twister yes and that is uh the lion king for the sega genesis which is a game i that's a tough game very tough game i don't think i ever got past the uh oh i just can't wait to be king segment uh which is probably the hardest level in a video game ever made <laughs> ever <laughs> it's rough it's rough um I mean, you think super meat boy is hard <laughs> play lion king for the sega genesis buddy Whew. but uh yeah it that is a westwood game it was uh licensed by virgin games uh which we'll mention a little later some of their history with Westwood, but um, yeah, that was a Westwood game I played when I was younger. So those are my memories. Not as vivid, I think, as Seth's. I think Seth had more of a right. time playing Command and Conquer. But uh, Seth, what about you? Yeah. So as Zach said, we were a, uh, a Warcraft household, uh, so we didn't have a lot of other RTSs. But uh, I had, when I was a kid, one of the first RTSs that I was introduced to was Command and Conquer: uh, Tiberian Sons, the original game, and. I, I really fell in love with this this game. Um, I with the unit movement. It was the first time I you know I was introduced to any of the RTS elements. And um, as I grew up, I ended up being a pretty solid. R- I mean, I, I play RTSs. It's one of one of my genres that I really enjoy. Yeah, it's the same type of uh, itch that I guess that uh, I get when I play like a strategy management type game. I, I kind of like that type of uh, con- control type game, but. 
Um, so Command & Conquer was the, one of the first RTS games that I saw. I did also see and play Dune 2. My memories of Dune 2 were that there were sandworms in it. There are. And that they would occasionally, while you were moving units across the map, erupt and kill everybody. Yeah. And it was great. That sounds like Dune. <laughs> um, and I, there may have been other Dune RTS games um, going forward. And well, there was definitely there was a port of Dune two for the Sega Genesis, and then there was another port to the PlayStation, um, and then there was I think uh, another RTS under the Dune license. But I know Dune one wasn't an RTS. No, Dune one was not an RTS, and we'll get into that. But I definitely played a Dune RTS game that had sandworms. It was most likely Dune 2, I'm assuming. It was probably Dune 2. I was too young to identify what the game was, but I was not young enough to identify that there were giant space worms in there. You know, you're at that age where you didn't know what game it was, but you definitely knew the lore of Dune. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I definitely knew the lore of Dune. Fun story, fun story. I uh, would go over slumber parties as a child, as you do, and uh, I in middle school... Uh, probably around, I'm going to say 6th or 7th grade. Uh-huh. Uh, so that puts you at like, what, 13, 12 or 13 years yeah. old? Well, let's say 12. I was slept over my, my buddy's house um, with some other friends. And his dad came down and said, you can watch one videotape. Because it was, you know, VHS. Yeah. Is, uh, you can watch one video, one movie, on uh, one videotape. And he, and he specified one videotape because they own Titanic as well, no, which that was, was two, two VHSs. VHSs yeah. And he didn't want us to do that. So we said, okay, we will watch one movie, then we will go to bed. That movie that we chose was Dude. <laughs> <laughs> which is a very long movie. Uh, I believe it's a four-hour runtime. Yeah, and uh, is on one VHS tape. It is a very th- is a it is a thick VHS tape. And uh, he was he was mad. His dad was mad. Uh, his dad came down probably an hour or two into the movie and was like, "What are you guys watching?" And we're like, "We're watching Dune." And he's <laughs> like, "That's no, turn that off." And we were forced to go to bed. Middle of, like, I think um, they were, like, in the town square or something. I'm not sure where where we were in the movie. Someone was getting killed. But, um, yeah, his dad was not, uh, he was not happy that we chose Dune as the movie. So, but, so that, that was, that's just some That's just a fun story, yeah. Some uh, fun story of connection to Dune. So, Zach, do you want to bring us into the, uh, the history of, uh, Westwood Studios? So, Westwood Studios was founded in 1985 by Brett Sperry and Louis Castle, or Louis Castle? Louis, 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 Louis. I'm gonna go with Louis Castle. Westwood Studios was founded in 1985 by Brett Sperry and Louis Castle. At the time, they were known as Westwood Associates, and they were named after a neighborhood of... Uh, uh, Los Angeles called Westwood. So there was a neighborhood in Los Angeles. It was known as Westwood. And Brett Sperry and Lewis Castle wanted their company to represent the kind of like professionalism, but entertainment uh, kind of side of this professional um, neighborhood. So initially the company worked primarily on porting 8-bit titles by Epics and our favorite company, SSI, to 16-bit computers like the Commodore Amiga and the Atari ST. 
their first original title was an RPG called Mars Saga. It came out in 1988 for the Apple II, MS-DOS, and Commodore 64. And one of their earliest successes was actually with the game Eye of the Beholder, also published by our best buddies, SSI. Um, It was developed for SSI, and uh, Westwood worked on a ton of games after that with companies like Infocom and major companies like Disney. That was, um, Eye of the Beholder was a very good uh, game. Yeah, it's a dungeon crawler. Yeah, Dungeon crawler by, um, that was pushed out by SSI, and it was fun finding out that, that Westwood worked on that. And uh, in uh, 92, they were acquired by Virgin Games, which was a uh, division of Virgin Group, which is a very large British conglomerate. As we've spoken in our two episodes ago, um, Britain and the UK has a huge influence on gaming, and this is just another aspect of that. The conglomerate is the same Virgin Group that also has Virgin Airlines and all those um multitudes of companies underneath them and uh they virgin uh games became the publisher for uh westwood studios and eventually became virgin interactive entertainment and they worked with westwood in releasing a a, an rts called dune but they also were working with another company at the same time or similar time frame a company called cryo who was also working on a game called Doom. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, from our understanding of our extensive research into this... <coughs> Wikipedia! <laughs> uh, Virgin Interactive Entertainment uh, went to Westwood and said, Hey, you guys can make a game called Doom, but there is a company called Cryo who's making a game called Doom, but we're probably going to cancel that game. So you go ahead and make your game called Doom. And it can be an RTS game, and it's going to be great. Cryo's working on some adventure game, and that's fine. We're going to cancel it. So, uh, the time came, and Cryo released their game. And <laughs> not canceling it. They, called, they did not cancel it, and they called their game Dune. So, Westwood, in order not to confuse the audience by having two games called Dune, decided to call their game Dune 2. And wow. so, they have a game called Dune 2, it goes to once it, when it was ported, it was called Dune, um, the Battle of Arrakis. And uh, the original game uh, uh, was released Dune 2, the building of a dynasty. And uh, for the European release and for the Mega Drive Genesis port, it was changed to Battle. Um, well, actually, for the European release, it was Dune 2, Battle for Arrakis. And for its Mega Drive Genesis port, they dropped the two and it just became Dune, the battle for Arrakis. I guess it's not that confusing since you're not playing that that random adventure game on the Mega Drive. Yeah, I think it would have been way more confusing if you were going to the store and saw a copy of Dune 2 for the Sega Genesis and you're like, well, I can't buy that because <laughs> I don't have Dune 1. <laughs> but yeah, that's how, true. how confusing was it for all the fans of Dune the Adventure Game, though, to like find out, oh, awesome. they go to the store maybe a few weeks after they, they love this game. And they go to the store and they're like, there's a sequel out already? <laughs> and they pop it in. They're like, what the heck is this? This is a different game. I, I think it's almost like, um, it would be almost like if I went to the store or, or did the reverse, bought the sequel and then went to go get the prequel and it was an entirely different game. Yeah. So like I did that with Baldur's Gate. Uh, I bought Baldur's Gate 2 for the PC uh, first. 
Okay. Yeah, I was a kid. It was available on the shelf. I didn't really care about playing games in order at that time. And so I got Baldur's Gate 2. I loved it and went out and then bought Baldur's Gate 1. And it was this, you know, very similar game. Uh, not as refined as Baldur's Gate 2. And we'll do a Baldur's Gate episode one day in the future. But um, imagine if you went out and got Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance, though, for the PlayStation 2. That's what it would feel <laughs> like if you went out to buy Dune 2 and then you went back and you're like, oh, I guess I better get this Dune 1 game. Maybe it's more RTS. And instead, it's it's not. Yeah, it's, it's um, a point-and-click adventure starring Kyle McLaughlin. It's, <laughs> it's, it is a... An, interesting game i unfortunately as much of an adventure gamer that i am i have not had the um chance to play that game. maybe that will change and that 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 very well might change um and since this is kind of a hybrid episode we won't go too much further into our into our dune conversation because no. we we do want to ex- touch base onto command and conquer but we will probably come back to dune and talk about the dune games because I believe there's actually a Dune game in the pipeline or something. I wouldn't be surprised because there's a movie in the pipeline. Right. So it, Dune will come back. But um, the there's a list of adventure games uh, that I want to play that include uh, Dune and Batman Returns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, both of them are adventure games that uh i plan on playing at some time in the future um and when i do i'll tell everybody about my experience and maybe we'll make some episodes about them talking about some adventure games that you probably have not heard about so during the time when dune 2 was going on uh westwood studios started thinking about um the future and about a different intellectual property that wouldn't be as confusing as dune and (laughs) they started thinking about uh, Command & Conquer. And do you want to kind of give a, um, a background on Command & Conquer? So Command & Conquer is set in an alternative timeline, um, and it focuses on two world powers, the Global Defense Initiative, which is sort of like the United Nations, and the cult-like Brotherhood of Nod, which are the bad guys. Um, now, unlike games like Warcraft and other RTS games that were out, I mean, even like Dune, which was, you know, the sci-fi fantasy, Command & Conquer is set in a modern setting and had modern warfare elements such as tanks and, you know, units with guns and airplanes and helicopters, etc., etc. So you weren't like dealing with catapults and castles or dune things but or sandworms but (laughs) you know the game did have a very comprehensive story um that was accompanied by full motion video segments that would kind of uh play out throughout the story to to give you different different story cues and such like that um i know when you started up when you start up the game for the first time you get this kind of corny it's like a television changing through different channels of like different advertisements and uh, companies and stuff of this time in this universe it kind of puts you into this universe uh, because you get ads for you know tiberian which is the um the resource that you have to collect you know um, different companies that deal with processing of it you get ads for like random exercise videos there's mm-hmm. um, like a news report about a terrorist attack committed by the brotherhood of nod and then you get this intercepted message from either the gdi or the brotherhood of nod you get to choose which one that you want to accept and whichever one you choose that leads you into the the storyline for that particular game so the the game also saw one expansion pack it was called the covert operations as well as ports to the playstation nintendo 64 and the sega saturn 
Um, so it was it was widely successful and widely popular. And in 1996, there was a prequel that came out called Red Alert, which also spawned its own line of sequels. And right. that I referenced actually in our last episode with uh, Tim Curry was in one of them, and he goes space. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and the the story then. In Red Alert is shifted to a, uh, another alternate history. It's the same universe, but it's it's in the past where it's a more aggressive Soviet Union at war with Europe. And Europe, um, you either play as the European Allied Forces or as the Soviet Union in your quest for global domination. Red Alert was definitely more realistic. That that kind of it was interesting that Red Alert kind of spawned its own like line of games but, which that just well, are still getting ruined and especially realistic because 96 was like like right at the tail end of the cold war the people that were playing right. these these games lived in the cold war so you right. know it was a very real fear that the soviets would go to war with with the rest of the world um so i think they, right. they kind of tapped into the right uh, the right time period for the audience which um kind of goes back to um when we talked about jungle strike for the second genesis yes being shortly released about after the gulf war yes and being about the gulf war <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um i think red alert was a little bit i don't think it was as controversial as jungle strike no since it was about soviets instead of the gulf war uh the the command and conquer 99 um command and conquer did get uh, a sequel called tiberian sun which I believe the remastered packages it with it, which takes place after the first Command and Conquer, where and Tiberian Sun saw more battles between GDI and the Brotherhood and Nod over Tiberium. Um, and is Khan in Kane? Kane, Khan, Khan. Yeah, no, I think Kane is in the games up until the third one. I think because I think there's a DLC or expansion pack to the third game just called like Kane's Wrath. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kane is the big bad for the Brotherhood. It's like of a bulk guy with a mustache, he's like, right? Yeah, he's like Cobra Commander. Cobra, except, <laughs> except for Nod. Nod is actually just kind of like the uh, the Cobras from uh, GI. <laughs> it's just the GI, GI Joe, Joe game. <laughs> let's let's it is let's be real here. There there is a guy that says like Go Joe. Like part of the song sounds <laughs> like it's saying Go, Go Joe. Joe. It it is really okay. if you like GI Joe, I recommend playing Command and Conquer. There, uh, Command and Conquer did see a number of sequels post uh, the original game, uh, including Command and Conquer Three: Tiberian Wars, uh, Command and Conquer Four: Tiberian Twilight, and a MMORTS, a massive multiplayer online RTS game called Tiberian Alliances. Um, they came out in 07, uh, 2010, and 2012. There was also a game called Command and Conquer Renegade, which came out in 2002 which uh, changed it from an RTS to a first-person, third-person type shooter game, which um, was uh, well-received, unlike uh, other games of that type when they try to have done that switch. (laughs) Some games just can't can't make the switch. (laughs) Some games can't make the switch. We'll actually talk about that a little bit. (laughs) Bureau. The Bureau. Um... In 98, Westwood was purchased by EA Games and was shut down in 2003 because EA is evil. Uh, (laughs) Some members of the Westwood's uh, staff stayed with EA as part of the new formed uh, the Los Angeles division, while other members uh, left and uh, started Petroglyph Games, where in 2020 released Command & Conquer Remastered Collection. Petroglyph, the developer. It's a big old circle. It all all comes back. And fortunately, they apparently get along well, right? If 
if EA is willing to publish. I them. mean, I assume, I assume so. There might have been. Who knows? I mean, there might have been bad yeah. blood, bad blood initially. But I assume when EA was looking for people to remaster Command and Conquer, Petroglyph was like, "Hey, we're right here." <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I think that. I think that, well, time heals all wounds, and also, uh, they probably were given some decent departure package if they were closed like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of times with, I feel like a lot of times, and I don't want to speak for the the people of Petroglyph, but a lot of times with, with situations like that, where people do leave companies and end up forming their own companies, usually they depart with a kind of a mutual understanding. I mean, I assume by the time Westwood was shut down in 03, it probably wasn't the same Westwood it was back when it started out. You know, it was probably a very different little uh, community. So um, I I assume, I mean, I, again, I, I can't speak for the people at Petroglyph, but I assume there wasn't any like resentment toward their, their fellow staff who stayed behind or their, you know, or anyone that did anything. And they actually, um, they did release Command and Conquer games while being owned by EA, and um, since it's ninety it's ninety eight to two thousand and three, you have five years of um, development there. Yeah. And so, with that, the actual the the first sequel to Command and Conquer called Tiberian Sun was uh, released under EA's ownership versus being under um, Virgin Interactive Entertainment. Yeah. Which is actually something I really liked about the Command and Conquer remaster is they have the original Electronics Arts logo. Oh yeah, yeah. In the game startup, which is cool. Um, the remaster does a, a fabulous job at remastering the game. Um, it's very true. I talked about it uh, last episode in regards to my um, recent experiences of playing it. We actually, Zach and I, uh, played it online together. Yeah. And we had uh, a fun time. We did. The answer to the all problems are is the uh, Colossus, thing, the hook, the obelisk. If you're playing as Nod, make as many obelisks as you can, and then be prepared for your speakers to make weird buzzing noises. Oh yeah, yeah. But Zach and I had a, an interesting time playing where we almost lost two two medium computers. Yes, yeah. And Th- those uh, medium computers were tough. They were. They were also very mean. In the beginning. We did pull off the greatest heist of all time, though. We did. We did pull off the greatest heist of all time, where I invaded with flame tanks and zachary stole one of their uh mcvs which is the unit that is a vehicle and also your main base yeah it was it was cool and it felt like i was playing the game back when it came out except with better graphics yeah um and a cool thing about the remaster i picked up a copy of the remaster actually right after we recorded our last episode and one of the i think one of the coolest things at least for me who you know i love classic games i love the way classic games look but when you're playing the game you can actually toggle between the um new remastered graphics and the original very blocky graphics with just a hit of the space bar you tap the space bar and game shifts back into uh into the old style graphics and it's a smooth transition like it you can't like it's instant it there's no like you don't have to wait for it to like load up or anything um and i think that's nice i like that i like when games do that when games allow you to you know toggle back and forth between a new view and an old view because it gives you kind of a appreciation for the old view and seeing how it's changed and and the appreciation for the work that went into the game um instead of forcing you to play a game that's 
not really remastered. Right. And and then you can find out what that weird, mysterious object was. It was a helicopter this whole time. That's true. And what Zachary's referencing to is that there is a uh, a piece of pixel that is that people in when they playing the original Command and Conquer thought was some sort of like crashed alien, like but people couldn't identify it based on the graphics quality. So when the HD master came through or the the remaster came through, um, it was identified as a helicopter. And Command and Conquer, if anything, stays true to its roots, like its modern roots. It doesn't get weird, I feel. Well, I haven't played all the Command, every single Command and Conquer. But from what I've played of the original, it doesn't, beyond having Tiberium, it doesn't get weird at all. Like it doesn't all of a sudden introduce like aliens or weird stuff outside of that. You're just generally fighting not. I think the weirdest thing is that, I mean, it is an alternative timeline. So there's like stuff that happens in the Command and Conquer universe that wouldn't happen in our universe and they do have things that we don't have like obelisks which shoot lasers and make loud noises uh the other thing is that it uh it can get goofy where like i described the the acting in one of the one of the games to be a little hammy which you know that's but that's just kind of the nature of the game it's it, it can be hammy it's so that it doesn't take itself always super serious right and there was also other command and conquer games that came out uh there was about 24 Four in total yeah. Command and Conquer games that have been released so far, um, but Zach and I are just not going to just say Command and Conquer four hundred times. Yeah, yeah. to over and over. Unless again. you want us to, but there were. In which case, write yeah, in and there, tell us you want the Command and Conquer audiobook of us just listing games. Yes, um, like Generals was a uh, Command and Conquer game uh, that actually I I remember when Generals came out and it was really cool. So yeah, so I think that's gonna be it for our Westwood Command and Conquer hybrid episode yeah a little westwood history a little command and conquer history we'll we'll probably do something where we go a little bit further in the dune we may go a little bit further in command and conquer but we also wanted to use this episode to talk about uh, a new segment at the end of our podcast yeah um so we have been doing our byway pass segment which we i I don't know i I like i like our byway pass segment yeah I hope you do too. Though we felt that we wanted to freshen up the podcast a little bit and add in a new segment. So this segment, we're going to try it out and see how you guys like it. And we'll probably go back and forth between Byway Pass and this new segment. And so each episode can have a little bit more uh, uniqueness to it. And this segment's going to be called, Is It Really That Bad? So what this segment entails is that we're going to talk about uh, a game that we own that may be an older game. It may be a newer game, um, but it is definitely a poorly received game. Uh, So this this game will either have mixed or worse reviews on steam or it will have a like 66 and below on metacritic either or or it may just be a game that people or zach and i just think it generally is bad but we wanted to have some sort of standard so you guys know that we're not just um i don't know picking on games we also uh, want to use kind of like a scientific method in order to show that we 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 are big proponents of games and we don't want to pick on any small like we don't want to use our voice 
to belittle or knock any games for being games. I we think we we are strong supporters of uh, game developers, especially indie, indie game developers. So we will be very careful in regards to the games that we pick for this segment, and they may also be bad games that Zach and I actually like. Yeah. So <laughs> like like my first one. <laughs> so. Uh, they may be, uh, so this will be more of a, a little descriptive segment where we talk a little bit about the game that we have been playing, uh, what irritates us in regards to, or why it's considered bad generally, and then whether or not we really think it's really that bad, or if it is really that bad and you should avoid playing it. So Zach, why don't you take it away with your, is it really that bad? So my, is it really that bad actually is, I'm kind of cheating. I'm doing two games um, just because I feel like they're very, they're very close in terms of their, their content. But recently I've been thinking, I've been thinking due to some recent discourse involving the writer JK Rowling, um, you know, I, I was on Twitter when a lot of stuff went down and a lot of discourse evolved. And, I'm, I, you know, this is not the time or place to talk about that. But, um, you know, it got me thinking about my childhood and growing up with, you know, the franchise Harry Potter and, and my, my time and memories. Harry Potter. Harry Potter and my time and memories with Harry Potter. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to say it with like a weird accent now every time. <laughs> Harry Potter. And I primarily remember playing the Harry Potter PC games. Um, and there's two of them that I played when I was growing up. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, or Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, if you live in America like I do, which came out in 2001, and Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, which came out in 2002. And these games were an almost, like, kind of open-world game. You explored Hogwarts, so it was as open-world as Hogwarts could be, and even that was pretty restrictive. It was, like, two hallways in a classroom. And then there was also a third game that came out, called Prisoner of Azkaban, but I played that a lot later in life when I realized it existed. So I'm only going to really talk about uh, Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets. These games were developed by a company called No Wonder Games, who apparently only work with IP tie-ins. I looked up their, their company, and they have only made games that are connected to movies or TV shows. And that's it. And are they all bad? <laughs> that's how you know they're doing real good. Um, yeah. So <laughs> the Harry Potter games... As a kid, they were really fun, and I will preface it at that. Revisiting them, they have not aged well <laughs> at all. Um, they are they have tons of graphical glitches. Weird things will happen. Like sometimes the sometimes the textures just won't render properly. So Harry's like glasses will turn into like a visor, like he's Jordy LaForge, or. Um, sometimes his skin won't render, and he'll be like mostly invisible. <laughs> Um, there's some odd control schemes. The game wasn't designed really for like a WASD, a WASD on the keyboard type of modern control scheme. I think it uses the arrow keys and like the mouse. So it's kind of like a weird twisting of your body. Was it a port to the PC though? Was it originally come out on the PlayStation? No, this is the PC version is separate from the PlayStation version. The PlayStation version was developed oh. by a different company and the Game oh. Boy version was developed by a different company, and the Game Boy Color version oh. was developed by a different. <laughs> there's, there's a rabbit hole of Harry Potter games. That's a whole other topic for another day. Um, but in, in any in any sense, the games also both games are very. Um, they're kind of fundamentally flawed by having redundant gameplay and puzzle mechanics. Most of the f first chunk of the game involves you going to classes as Harry, learning spells 
doing these like tests with the spells, which doesn't make sense because the teacher's like, Harry, go do this test for like 20 minutes while I just sit here with the rest of the kids. They don't do the test. Um, but Harry's special. He gets treated differently. Uh, so, um, and then those puzzles are against eventually, eventually reused at the end of the game during like the final segment. So it's like, oh, you're just getting taught to do the thing that you're going to do at the very end of the game. So it, it's very redundant. Again, they they are fun to play as a kid, and they offer what was the first open-world view of Hogwarts that I had ever seen, and still, really, the only open-world view of Hogwarts that is out there. They they also are kind of cool in the sense that the artwork was more in line with the official artwork that was coming out at the time, and not really the books, or not really the movies, rather. Uh, so the yeah. artwork was more in line. Like Snape had like a beard and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Was the, the artwork was more in line with like with the official um, chapter, like the chapter uh, art. Uh, yeah, the, the, and yeah, the and the in the in the uh, marketing art that was out at the time. So one thing, for example, that I always thought was cool was in the games, all of the different houses had coloring on their robes to indicate which house they are in. Um, which wasn't in the movie until the third movie came out, which was way after the games came out. So the games did it first. Also, the character of Peeves, the poltergeist, who was cut out of the movie, um, is in the games. And there are certain plot elements that happen in the games that only happen in the books. He's really annoying. Peeves he's is really annoying. annoying in those like games. In the, in the game, and he's really yeah. annoying. In the in the book, he's also kind of yeah. annoying. But like he's, his character is supposed to be annoying. But I think they they pull that off in the game. Yeah, and later games, from what I remember. Later games, from my understanding, began began to become closer to the the movies as they were coming out in time with the movies but these the the first two games kind of are anomalies in that 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 they're they're kind of this pre harry potter movie world um and yeah is it really that bad they're bad they're bad games but they're also so bad they're good i love playing them i'll pop into them every now and then just to re-explore the world of hogwarts one of my favorite things to do is to just find ways to break the game more and more um such as if you try talking to certain people but you're standing on the wrong level of like the geometry sometimes harry will just like fling across the screen at full speed <laughs> like <laughs> there's no reason for it it just happens there's also a, a program tool that you can download that will definitely break the game because you could swap harry's body for other figures in the game so you can just run around hogwarts as aragog if you feel like it <laughs> i mean the spider the spider the right? spider yeah. yeah or you can play as hagrid but mapped to aragog's body <laughs> so it's like hagrid is this <laughs> spindly monster <laughs> it's it's, it's a very great game it's one of those games i could play yeah. hours but it's, it's so bad it's good yeah that's my is it really that bad it's bad, but it's so bad it's good. So, uh, so for my is it really that bad? I'm going to talk about um, a game that is or should be close to my heart, since it's a game off my favorite franchise. And if you know me, then you are probably already guessing that I'm going to be talking about the Bureau, XCOM Declassified. I, this game actually came out in uh, 2013, and I was really excited about it in back in that time uh, until a lot of the negative things about the game came out. And I actually didn't pick the game up and didn't pick up the game till uh, later. And, and I do own the game. And I was talking to Zach about it. And I was like, you know, I, I give a lot of lip to the Bureau. And I understand that it's um, just known to be a mixed reviewed and cr very critical game. And I'm like, but I don't think I've really played it. And I looked and I, I played 13 minutes 
I got 13 minutes into the game and I decided that it was not for me. So I was like, you know what, for the podcast, I'm going to go back and I'm going to try. So now I have two hours into the game. So I feel like I have some level of experience with the game that I can explain to you why I don't like it. Um... And why it's critically reviewed. So it was uh, very rife with public uh, development issues. Uh, originally, the game was I announced, I believe, in two thousand and six or seven. Yeah, early yeah, was, in the two thousand, it was announced. Early E three. It was actually, from my understanding, going to precede the Firaxis game, and they were going to actually call that game the X the Bureau. They were going to call it XCOM Enemy Unknown. To play on the UFO Enemy Unknown that was released originally. The title XCOM Enemy Unknown did go to the Firaxis game that came out. That was a critical success. So originally the game was uh, going to be a collaboration between 2K Australia and 2K Marin. Which is based in California. Though apparently it's very difficult to work as a company between Australia and California uh, because eventually the collaboration between them um, just ended up not working and um, 2K Marin ended up taking over the project. Australia's game, if Australia had their way and they they developed the game completely, it would have been a first-person strategy game where you had first-person elements instead of going into a squad base when you were fighting aliens, and you would have base strategy game um, for the other part of the gameplay. So the gameplay would be split. Kind of like how XCOM split between strategy and squad-based shooting. It would have been like a multiple units squad-based stuff. Um, this would have been first-person and strategy-based. Marin turned it into a third-person tactical game with no strategy elements whatsoever. And no, it's not first-person. You have it's a third-person view that is that has a like a squad companions. You have two people that follow you around. So I'm going to talk about the pros of the game and then I'm going to talk about my cons and then I'll give my is it really that bad the setting is set in the 1950s very x-files it's before XCOM becomes in existence it's humans first contact with the aliens it's cool like you have this like shadowy government agency that's tapping all these people from other government agencies and bringing them into this one agency and they're all the best of the best or actually I was reading through some of them aren't the best they were just tapped to go join this program but but you have people from the CIA and the NSA and all those other acronyms that come in and they all work for this company this agency called the bureau and they become XCOM during the first hour of the game. They're like, we're the Bureau, and now we're now called XCOM, and we're here to fight aliens with 1950s technology. It's a great premise. Like, I'm, I'm stoked. The graphics are okay. They are pretty standard 2013 third-person action game. Yeah, they were good for the There's time. But... To... Yeah, they're good for the time. Um, they're not really holding up, and... The story is not that good that kind of makes up for it. So there's those are the pros. Um, so the cons, the fighting in the it just feels blocky. Um, not only just the fighting, but the moving. The moving is really like um, so left shift is your run key. It's also the get into cover key. It's also the jump over cover key. It's also like and then like. You have all these different, like, non-traditional type 
movement keys and it just the combat just feels stiff the things that you can interact with are brightly lit so like you'll be walking and there'll be like a gun and it'll just be flashing yellow or the the doorknobs to get to the next location for the right door to go through are flashing yellow like there's no reason for this type of wayfinding even in a game released in 2013, there's no reason for it, especially with the levels they were constructed in a very linear fashion that you could figure out where to go next. Like, you don't need to have this, like, lighted path, and you could push F5 on the keyboard, and it makes this gigantic arrow show you where your objective is. And mind you, I guess the the levels are so drab that I have to use that to figure out where I'm going. But 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 like I said, it's you don't it's a little over the top. One of the things that really bugged me was that you you, you have like three health bars. You get shot um, in the beginning of the game. Spoiler alert. Um, and your character is injured, but he has three health bars. That is full health in the beginning of the game. As you level up, you get more health bars. I didn't know that, so I was thought I was injured because my character was acting injured and was also just shot. So I was looking for medical, like, packages somewhere because I had three health bars, I was just shot, and my character was limping. All of these things together would, show, would explain to you that your character is injured. He was full health. I went to different medical cabinets to try and open them, and they were all just part of the background. They were not any interactable things so like you couldn't interact with the medical cabinets so there was medical cabinets strategically placed around the map where you would think that you could heal and you could not do anything with them and it was very frustrating you had a magical heal power though that you could cast <laughs> as your 1950s cia agent maybe he's harry potter and heal your squad and you could heal your pot yeah you're just harry potter um you could just heal your compatriots when they're injured but yeah because that makes sense but anyway npc you have two npcs that join your group and you can swap them out with different companions as they were um controlling them is rough um they need to be spoon-fed commands they do not they don't take care of themselves very well uh you generally they'll die if you don't like um keep giving them issuing them orders which i guess is part of the game fun of the game but you the issuing of orders is very is a tough keyboard. Like you have to push space, and then you have to tab over to the right yeah. thing that you yeah. want to do, and then you have to drag it out to do yeah, it. And it doesn't pause the game. The game continues to go on. So you're getting shot by a- aliens trying to give an order to your guy. Which in games I would feel like you should be able to pause and issue orders, but no, no, real live giving orders. Apparently, I got this a little bit. I have not played. Uh, so the game's about 15 hours, so I'm like two hours in. Um, so I'm still in the beginning, so I have yet to experience this. But a- apparently the companions are all very boring and that they're all f- kind of flat. Which, this is 2013. You have had three Mass Effect games come out where it has the same exact style of gameplay where you're one person, it's a cover shooter, and you have two companions following you, and you're giving orders to the companion. Same exact game. This game is not Mass Effect in regards to the level of care that you actually care about your companion. And then my my final gripe with the game is that their, their, the characters' mouths are weird when they talk. 
so they're like their lips move weird it's just it's like off-putting especially during like a cinematic you can't stop but look at their weird mouths didn't uh mass effect uh, andromeda have that like exact same problem <laughs> no mass effect andromeda their their entire face <laughs> oh weird, yeah okay which also was off-putting and that may be going on my is it really that bad of a game uh so is is this game is it really that bad uh i, I think i think it is I think that the Bureau, if you really love XCOM, like really love XCOM, then I think it, you're, you do it to your, you, you're, you owe it to yourself to play the Bureau. Uh, definitely buy it when it is on sale. Do not pay full retail for the game. If you like action games or a squad-based shooters, there are better games to play. So yeah, so hopefully you guys enjoyed that new segment. Uh, is it really that bad? And uh, we'll we'll probably talk about a few games, a few more games under this segment, see how it goes, and then we may and we'll we'll probably go back to our byway pass segment in the future as yeah, well. Yeah, who knows? But it'll give us a chance to kind of rotate it. So that's that's it. Uh, yeah, so that's our episode. That's our Westwood Command and Conquer episode. That's it. Zach, do you want to take us away in regards to uh, how they can? Uh, contact us support yeah, us and listen i'll be to giving us. a scoop on that so let's say you want to contact us listen to us and support us those are three great things that you can do if you want to contact us open up your favorite email client personally i use outlook and go to new email in the two field type <laughs> i said i don't know why you use outlook in the in the two field right. you're going to want to type classic gaming brothers at classicgamingbrothers.com or just classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com or Zach at classicgamingbrothers.com or Seth at classicgamingbrothers.com. We got them all, all these aliases. In any case, put in the email and send us something cool. I mean, send us uh, some, you know, kind words if you have them or, or maybe some critiques. You know, let's say I was too loud in this episode or Seth was too loud or maybe you really love the Bureau and you want to argue with Seth about why the mouths moving weirdly is integral to the story of the Bureau. Or maybe you really love the Harry Potter games and you take them very seriously and they are canon to your Harry Potter world. In any case, let us know. We're, we're always glad to hear it. Uh, and maybe if you have a game out there that, you know, you played and you're like, hey, Zach or Seth, if you play this game, it absolutely is terrible. Um, we'll take a look at it. Or, or you're like, hey, I loved it, but everyone said it was awful. You know, we'll we'll take a look at it. Maybe you'll be in a maybe you'll be in a is it really that bad segment. Um, so that's one way to contact us. You can also do so via our website. Go to classicgamingbrothers.com. Go to the contact page. There's a contact form and you can fill that out and it will go right to our Gmail. That's where it goes. You can also go to our different social media accounts. You go to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. In that order, Facebook, classicgamingbrothers.com. Twitter, CGBrotherPod. And Instagram, classicgamingbrothers.com i switched it up a bit sometimes i'll put twitter at the end because i like to make myself feel sad about how i messed that up yeah so you can go to any of those you can reach out to us there you know tweet at us send us a facebook message like us on instagram follow us on instagram all those methods methods are ways that you can get in touch with us most likely seth will respond to you sometimes i will respond to you depends We'll see how I'm feeling that day. Maybe I won't respond to most you. Most of the times it's Seth responding. Yeah, it's to you. almost 99% of the time it's Seth, unless it's on Twitter. Most of the time then it's me. 
Um, so yeah, those are the ways to reach out to us. If you want to, what did I say? If you want to listen to us, if you want to listen to us, then you can, uh, listen to us on any of your favorite podcasting apps. We're on all of them. Pretty much every podcasting app that's out there, we're on it. If for some reason there's a podcasting app out there that you want to listen to us on, but we're not on it, let us know. We'll try our hardest to get on it just for you. Also, uh, if you want to check us out on YouTube, we have a bunch of our episodes uploaded to YouTube. We also have an archive of our Twitch streams that we do. We stream very irregularly at twitch.tv forward slash classic gaming brothers. Also twitch.tv forward slash VS classics. Whoa, that's a mouthful. Twitch.tv forward slash vs classic gaming brothers that's my view when i occasionally uh stream alongside seth when we're doing streams i haven't done it recently my internet's not been great if you want to support us we appreciate it you don't have to but we really want you to tell three friends if you really like this podcast tell three friends no more no less because if it's something you like you tell three friends if it's something you hate you tell more and that is what people do with the bureau and that's why we know about the bureaus because people told more more than three friends uh it was terrible it was a whole rampant people telling people about the bureau it was the everyone was telling each other so yeah tell three friends uh also you can like us on all those social media pages i previously mentioned Um, another great way to support us is to email us we really want to hear that feedback and that's a great way to support us is to get in touch with us uh you can also buy our merch that we have we uh say that you can you don't have to but if you want to wear our face on your shirt uh or wear our face on your mug then Guess what? That sounds like they're wearing our face on their face if they're wearing it on their mug. But uh, in any case, all of our, our merch is available on our website. Uh, and yeah, that's that's it, right? That's it. I think that's it. I can't think that's, of that's I can't it. think of anything else that I need to say. Seth, can you think of one thing? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Zach. And I've been Seth. And we've been the classic gaming brothers. That's right. Spies! Spies! I'm escaping to the one place that hasn't been corrupted by capitalism. Space!